We've been talking about stress or depression even in the workplace where there are certain jobs, careers, industries that are more depression prone, if you will, for their employees. Uh, On this list that we're drawing on from health.com, teachers come quite high on this list. The demands on teachers seem to be constantly growing. Many work after school and then take work home. In many years, they they learn uh, to do a lot with a little. Uh, There are pressures from many different audiences, the children, the parents, the school management, trying to meet standards, getting the uh, grades, the syllabus, all these kind of things could contribute to stress or depression. Uh, Also, administrative support staff. People in this field can suffer from a classic case of high demand, low control. And I think that's an interesting term when it comes to that feeling of uh, stress or depression. And we're putting those two together. They are actually the same thing, which I always find interesting, Dr. Raymond, that stress is actually a form of depression. Is that right? Depression and anxiety. The two go hand in hand. Like, for instance, with administrative support, you're going to get a lot of unpredictable situations and may not acknowledge how many hours they've worked in a particular day to get the job done. Because when you move into administration, you don't clock in and clock out anymore. There are going to be very, very high demands. And some people are in an administrative situation where they have to micromanage. So it does create a lot of stress for the individual, especially if that's not particularly their interest. I've consulted with a lot of companies in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East. And what was interesting is when they put a person in a particular management position because they're good at what they do, they forget to look at their personality. Uh, For instance, even though accountants who do detailed accounting are very good at being detailed accounting, they may not be able to transfer those skills into general management. Because if their personality says you have to work with the details and facts on every situation, when you're in a general management position, you don't have enough time in the day to deal with the details of every single person and situation that comes under your command. So that would become a very frustrating situation. It's a never-ending level of frustration because you can never get all the details taken care of. So a generalist would be better in that kind of a general administrative mode where that same generalist couldn't do very well in the accounting department if they had to deal with the details every day. So a lot of people think that just because somebody's good at what they do in their particular field of interest, they're going to be good also in another area. But does that personality profile actually align with that particular new job that you want them to go into? And this is where we see a lot of that, what used to be called the Peter Principle, where the bad workers get promoted. And it's not because they're bad at what they do. They may actually be better in a generalist position than the detailed position. And people say, but this person's brilliant at what they do. Why didn't they get into a general position? Because they're not suitable for that. Interesting, isn't it? So looking at the person, not just on what their uh, credentials are, if you like, when it comes to job title. I remember working with um, a company that everybody may know about now. It's the Greenbrier Resort. I was an external consultant on a case 
with them one time. They had hired somebody from Disney, from Disney World, who was the person that did the groundwork. So whenever anybody goes to Disney, you see these beautiful carvings of animals from from the bush that they bring in, from the trees that have been carved to look like a dinosaur or something like that. Well, the Greenbrier Resort hired this person to be the groundskeeper and wanted him to actually manage 40 other people. It was a complete disaster because... The person was loving what he did as a detailed person who would take a tree or a bush and make it a beautiful animal design, but he couldn't manage people. So they very quickly learned that what they needed to do is just give him a plot of land, tell him, here's your plot of land, have fun with it. Then they had to get a manager for the other 40 people who needed somebody to manage them. So do you think that you're the right person for the job that you do? And if you weren't doing the job that you do today, what would you like to do? Let us know your thoughts on that. And of course, there are actual reasons why you might be stressed in the workplace, not just because you possibly might be the wrong, you know, the wrong personality type. You know, long hours may be um, being given so much work to do that it's impossible to get through it all every day. So you're starting to feel overwhelmed. You might have a difficult boss. That's what one person texted in earlier saying, what do you do if you've got a demanding boss? Nothing's ever good enough. And then there's this person here that said, I just want to share my experience with you. I work at the airport. I work in the check-in area. We work on a shift basis. I work 12 hours and I get an hour's break. And I and I have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hassle and stress. Um, there's lots of issues we have to sort out with the passengers. And I've now, my health is suffering as a consequence. He's been to have checkups done. He's suffering from rheumatism. Um, this could be linked. And that would be good to hear from you, Dr. Raymond. Would it be the case that something like rheumatism could be linked to stress or depression in the workplace? Of course, there's nothing that we can do in separating the brain from the rest of the body. Anything that happens to us in the way we think, feel, and behave is going to be formulated in the brain. Well, the brain also regulates the rest of the body because the brain and the spinal cord are the central nervous system. And out from that central nervous system comes the peripheral nervous system. And therefore, every organ in the body is going to be affected. So whether it's because we have headaches, chest pains, stomach pains, or we have rash breakout on our skin, and by the way, the skin is the the largest organ of the human body. What he's describing, though, sounds like burnout. And this is a psychological term uh, that's associated with long-term exhaustion um, and dimensioned uh, interest in, diminished interest in work. We see where people actually may have chronic occupational stress. Now, occupational stress can be the work conditions, can be the workload. It can sound like he's overworked. Mm -hmm. You know, working 12 hours and only having one hour off, that might not be the best formula. What you need is to work an hour and 45 minutes, take 15 minutes off and have a nutritious snack or a walk around the block or, or go for a run for that 15 minutes or just close your eyes uh, at your desk and rest for a few minutes, you know, whatever it is that helps you. And then also the long hours is another reason for the burnout that's been described with this person. What about the status? You know, you're working hard, you have a particular degree or, or education, and you're not working at that same level of education in your job. And it's like when you go to work in a government situation, they give you this grade scale. And if your educational level says that you're a grade scale 15, but you actually get a job at 12, 
you're not going to be working at your full potential. How long can you do that and not experience the, the burnout? What about the economic factors? Are you making enough money? And also we see what's called in the old days power distancing. Today, it's really bullying. When people come from a different nationality, a different socioeconomic class, they may actually be bullied because of people who think that now they're superior and they can do all kinds of bad things to other people to show how powerful they are. And what about that narcissism or any other kind of pathology that might be taken personality-wise? And what about the workplace conflicts? There's a lot of politics that can take place in the workplace, and do you get caught up in that when it's not yours? And also, there's things like sexual harassment, you know, things that can come up in these situations that are occupational stress. So it might not be what we actually think is stress. It might be the things that we didn't realize are stressful that are coming up, everything from the work conditions to various kinds of harassment and bullying. And what is your status at that place? Does Mm. it match the kind of place you want to be at this time in your life? What is your station in life? What are your values today? Where do you want to be? Are you thinking about retirement? And because of the economic situation, you're having to work hours that you didn't want to work. You're having to do things that you didn't really want to do. Are you planning for the future? A lot of people learn to work day to day, hour to hour. But what are you doing for the future? Are you saving money? Are you investing in a place where your money will actually work for you? And you have to ask yourself, were you raised with that mindset that it's okay for your money to work for you? Or were you raised to believe that you only deserve what you work for? Let's go to the messages, uh, share some of your stories and get some uh, advice from Dr. Raymond. Uh, One here, technology has killed the workplace. 280 emails, address them all and have your company monitor how quickly you do so. Paperwork overwhelming and inspections weekly, monthly. Are you good enough? That's that feeling. Are you doing enough even though you're feeling overwhelmed? overwhelmed is it is it ever good enough are you balancing everything when it comes to children's needs in the classroom so this is from a teacher i think every parent's request every boss above you um in at seven out at five uh, welcome to teaching these days uh, finally keep professional development going preferably on weekends um, and forgot to add hours of work at home as well Again, you know, this is too much, isn't it, Dr. Raymond? In a working life, as human beings, how much should we be working? You know, if we're talking about work-life balance, is it that we're working longer hours than we ever have before? Technology is supposed to make our life easier. Is it just meaning that we're more accessible 24-7? Are we our own worst enemy? We could be managing things better. It's a lot there, I know. But so how do we manage it if we're feeling like this, that we're feeling overwhelmed? Wouldn't it be nice if we could cut and paste all the answers to <laughs> yeah. those 280 statements? Yeah, 80 uh, emails. emails yeah. In, but I doubt that that's the case because every one of them is going to be quite personal. Here's obviously a very dedicated teacher. A person wants to do a good job. But is there really enough time in the day? And if a female teacher, then she's got a double whammy here because now she's got to go home and be a parent, a wife, and take care of the household stuff. We don't see yet where there's that kind of a balance with every family where a working husband, a working wife, come home and share the same balance in work for the home situation. So there could be even an added dimension of stress that's going on. Working from 7 to 5, that's a 10-hour day. That's a very, very long day in itself. Even if you love the work that you're doing, you need to take a break. Well, imagine having to answer 280 emails, taking care of the kids and their parents. 
And sometimes it's teaching the children, but babysitting the parents who want to be involved, but their involvement may be somewhat stressful, making demands on the teacher. I remember growing up with teachers in our small community in southern West Virginia, and we thought that they actually lived at the school, that that's all they're supposed to do is be teachers. Yeah. And we expected that of them. And yeah, if ever that, we s- they're there when you leave and they're there when you come back in the mornings. <laughs> That's right. So how could you be in the grocery store? What are you doing here? You're not supposed to have a normal life. And we have that kind of demand on teachers because the expectation of a teacher is that that teacher is going to be our guru. And a guru needs to be spiritually sound and not have a normal life. So we put a lot of expectations on teachers. And it's something that is respected and it should be revered that this is a person that is actually admired in society, a person that's going to help form our children for, for the future, that's going to help parents and families at large learn to be better citizens. There's a lot of pressure put on teachers. As a matter of fact, when things go wrong at home, sometimes they say, well, I didn't send you to school to learn how to do this. We're putting it back on the teacher. But isn't it also about the employers or the you know, governing bodies? Uh, there are results that need to be attained. You know, schools are businesses uh, these days. And so you know, there is a pressure to, you know, deliver high results because that's going to make you know more people come and spend more money in that business so you know so across the board that feeling of financial delivery v what might be vocational or um you know uh, educational uh, that sort of value i remember uh, a couple of the schools that i've consulted to over the years would actually evaluate their teachers on a weekly basis and the way they did that is by looking at the grades that the students achieved during that week in various courses. And if the grades were lower for the majority of students in a particular course, they would go back to the teacher and question his or her teaching ability in that particular course. So they put a lot of pressure. And today, uh, we don't ever say, well, if you can't get a job, go teach. Uh, Teaching is a career. And it does have high demands. And people don't appreciate the pressure that's put on performance, professional and career performance on teachers. They do have to do lesson plans. And it has to be justified in an evidence-based fashion. So there's a lot of requirements. You can't just say, okay, well, today we'll talk about this particular topic, and that's it. It has to be quite well-versed. It has to be researched. What is the latest information, whether you're teaching on a university level or if you're to teaching elementary school? Mm. There's a lot of demands. And to be put into a situation of having to work 10 hours a day, five days a week, already that's 50 hours a week. And the rest. And also, I think what's interesting coming up about the emails and somebody texting earlier saying, you know, social media, how do you think that's impacti- impacting people's mental health? Um, I think, and obviously it's coming to light more and more with conversations like this, but where technology has come into the workplace where technology wasn't there before, uh, it's, it's helping, it's adding a dimension, but it's also adding more work onto people's mindset and what they need to do cognitively and physically during their day. And I think this is something, I'm identifying it myself with what I do, mm-hmm. and I think more and more people are, and I think it's again about the conversations you're able to have with your employers, with HR 
hard to understand that it's not just oh it's okay to do that it adds a whole nother stream of work dealing with technology so you need to have good IT support in place if your technology is not working if you're not able to reply to that email because all of those things add you know being up to date in training so you're able to embrace technology because all of those things are adding on top of what's already a full day, more work and potentially more stress. Yeah, when people are in a situation and they're working hard, you have to ask yourself, why am I working hard rather than working smart? And what that means is that you need to learn how to take breaks. Some people can do a job for 25 minutes and need to take a five-minute break. Some people do work for 45 minutes, need a 45-minute break. Some people, depending on their interest in that particular task that they're doing, can go an hour and a half, but then they need to take a 30-minute break, even if they don't think they need one. What we're finding in practice, based on the research as well, is that when you force yourself to take a break, and I know it sounds funny to say force yourself to take a break, but what that means, even if you're enjoying what you're doing, take a break anyway. You have a chance to rest your brain. By resting your brain, when you go back, you become your own second proofreader and critic. You pick up on things that you didn't see at first because... Believe it or not, people don't realize that the brain is like a muscle in the body. You can't walk into the gym and do repetitive repetitions and be expecting to have good muscle tone. You can actually damage yourself, and you can't do that for a long time. You do so many repetitions, you take a 90-second break, for instance. Then you go back and do the same exercise repetitions you take a break, do a different exercise. Well, the brain is the same way. If you are exhausting your brain, you might not even realize you're exhausting it, but you'll know it later when you realize that you made mistakes that you didn't see. So by taking that five-minute break or a 15-minute break or a 30-minute break, you actually come back and work more effectively. That's what working smart is. When you do take those breaks, when you do leave work or you walk away, even if you're taking work home with you, you walk away from your laptop, your phone, from in theory you think, I've stopped work now. Do you switch off or are you still thinking about work hours later or when you wake up first thing in the morning? What does that say? And we've been talking about stress in the workplace, uh, depression, looking at some of the industries that are being listed in the health.com article that are careers, jobs that are more prone, leading more towards depression in the workplace for the employees. What are your thoughts? 4001, what do you do for a living? Do you think that you're in the wrong job, that you're not suited to the job that you do? Uh, If so, what would you like to do? What would you do, Dr. Raymond, if you weren't a clinical and forensic psychologist today, what would you like to do? I would actually go into fine arts. And this is what my initial degree was in, was actually fine arts. And I would want to do that as a critic, for instance. I would love to get to live in a city that had a lot of plays and movies. And I'd love to be a movie critic Mm. or, or a play critic. And a critic means critique, not to always be critical in a negative way, because I really enjoy the media. And that's something I would want to do. Now that I've had training in psychology, I would want to certainly bring in that dimension, which, of course, is nothing new to media. As a matter of fact, when, when people actually study fine arts, especially if they're going to go into theatrics, they actually have to take so many courses in psychology. Like it's I did. Un- yeah, it's an undergraduate course, mm. and you can't do anything clinically with it, but at least it's knowledge base. 
that's probably how I'd want to do my retirement. Uh, and to actually supplement that, I'd want to be a restaurant critic, too, so I can at least eat while I'm watching good movies or going to the play. <laughs> so if anybody out there is looking for a critic, <laughs> hey, I'll send my resume. Fantastic. Yeah. How about you? Oh, I th- my fallback was always a dog walker, a professional okay. dog walker. Mm-hmm. Um, and more so when I was living in London, I used to have a friend, I still have a friend who's a dog walker, but I'd watch, I'd go to the park and I'd watch the professional dog walkers with a, literally a pack of dogs on leads, uh, walking them in the morning. And it's, uh, I, I, lo- I love dogs, I love animals. I thought, yeah, you're outdoors. Um, the downside of a job like that is you actually can't take that many holidays because the owners of those dogs, they rely on you. It's like like children mm-hmm. you know you're yeah, there course. looking after their animals they're working they need to be able to rely on you they need to have a dog walker that they trust so there's a mm-hmm. certain restriction in that respect but i kind of like the idea of the physical side of it the health side of it being outdoors walking with animals every day i thought yeah that'd be a good good career but talking about career stress a lot of people don't appreciate that it's actually a profession yeah that you ha- that there are professional animal walkers exactly not anyone can walk your precious pooch you know they need to understand how to you know work with a dog keep them safe also in a pack that they all get on and that there's a hierarchy and my friend greg in london his first criteria when he took on a dog a new dog for an owner was if your dog gets on with my dog coco because she's the head of the pack then I'll take them on. They're in. They're in. And uh, you go around to his house. There'd always be dogs there that he was looking after over the weekend. You know, but he made a good money, good salary, all taxable. It was like you know, a legitimate business. So, yeah, that was, I think, one of my fallbacks. Yeah. Um, interesting, actually, when it comes to working with animals. One person texted in earlier saying uh, vets in the UK, highly stressed industry. Um, we're also taking that to read possibly uh, for when it comes to military. If you've worked in military, if you're working in for government and how stressful that can be and of course we've talked before and uh, there's all that sort of post-traumatic stress to deal with particularly if you've seen action you know we're seeing a lot of that today with with military people from around the world it's not just the united states or england where there's a lot of programs that now are designed by the veterans administration for post-traumatic stress disorder but anywhere that there is a position or a post that could be life-threatening that you're under that kind of scrutiny, that you don't know when there's going to be a hit, that can create a lot of anxiety and distress. Sometimes it also leads to depression very, very quickly. Certain personalities can endure that for a longer period of time, but they're all affected because many times in that situation, which is a dangerous situation, you're vulnerable to any kind of an attack. And that vulnerability, whether you get attacked or not, just the fact that you could be attacked, leaves you vulnerable. So that leads to that acute stress disorder when an event does occur, or maybe what now is called post-traumatic stress symptoms rather than a disorder, where just anticipating that something could happen and having to live that drama every day, that bad things could happen whether they do or not, the anticipation of it can be just as psychologically distressing as when the real event happens. As a matter of fact, there's some research that actually shows when the actual situation does happen, you actually resolve the psychological symptoms much quicker because now you have closure on it. When you're in a situation that possibly bad things can happen and they never do, you never get closure. 
like not sending, not not finishing that sentence. Just leave, <laughs> you know, where was the closure on that? How many people were just waiting? Well, what's was these? Is something wrong with my radio? <laughs> well, closure, and I kind of just looking here at messages coming in, Dr. Raymond, and quite a lot of what's being, um, I think, reading through the lines of these is burnout. You mentioned burnout before, so I'll share a couple of messages. I think they're all leading down the same road, and we'll get your advice on how to combat burnout. Um, one person here, this lady, saying, I want to share my story. I'm working as a bus supervisor, and I work inside the bus and with children. It's just for four hours a day, but it's really hard to handle all the children, different children, different attitudes, different characters and personalities and sometimes we also encounter parents issues as well somebody else texted in to say I got to know stress when my kids grew into the middle years with my job as a business owner that was full-time stress so managing it all juggling it all how I mean you've mentioned already you know make sure you take time for you if you're not well then everybody that you're taking care of they're vulnerable they're not going to be well so take care of yourself first um don't put yourself out there as as a victim either you know that you're there you know kind of taking it all on there is always somebody else that can help share the load and you need to be able to delegate as well the bus supervisor situation brings up a lot of stuff that i've been observing now over more than 40 years in doing psychology as people's attitudes have changed their behavior has changed where before in the earlier generations we were taught to respect our elders regardless of what job they do, regardless of what color their skin was, regardless of whatever favor we thought of where we go to to do whatever we do in, in various places of worship or restaurants where we eat, you never look down on people. You don't even think in those terms. I grew up in a community that said you always respect your elders regardless. That's true, actually, and anyone in authority. So if you're a child getting onto a bus, you would treat the driver, the conductor with respect. You would. That was how you know, I was brought up the same way. I'm just wondering if we're seeing something much different today, especially in societies that have become so materialistic that we think we're better just because we have a better car or we think we're better because we have a different kind of a job. And we look at ourselves with that, with that power distance that I'm better because I have this education or this is my job or this is the amount of income that we make in our family. So we have this car, this diamond ring and things like that. The children pick up on that. When the children pick up on that, you're actually putting them in a dangerous situation. If they have not learned to respect the authority of a bus driver, a bus supervisor, what if those children decide to hang their heads out the window in a tight situation? Or it's okay to playfully push somebody down the, the steps of the, the door when the, when the bus is in motion, and it doesn't matter what the bus driver said or the bus supervisor says. They're putting themselves in a dangerous situation. And I'm not one to say that this is wrong or right as far as teaching empowerment to a child. But teaching a child to be empowered does not mean to be disrespectful. It does not mean that you don't have to respect authority because of somebody's job title. You're actually putting your children in a vulnerable situation by not teaching them to be respectful, to be responsible, Teaching them to be independent doesn't mean that they don't take orders or collaborate with others. It means to teach them to have confidence to be flexible and adaptable. 
So by teaching your children to be independent, flexible, adaptable, responsible, and respectful is actually keeping them out of harm's way. When I hear stories of a bus supervisor is having trouble with little children on the bus, I'm more concerned about what's going on at home with those children, not that bus supervisor being able to express his or her authority. Dr. Raymond, what does GAD stand for? Uh, that's uh, General Anxiety Disorder. One of our listeners texted in to say, I'm all alone in my education of our great old values and most of the time incapable of fighting against the jungle out there. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, the idea is to try and help you this morning. And I know we've covered quite a lot where it feels like we're highlighting what can stress you out and even lead to depression. But hopefully within all of this conversation, you can find some advice, some help. I know one of our listeners has texted in to say, thank you for the advice that you've given this morning. You're right. I'm not depressed. It is boredom and I need to deal with that. So we're glad we've helped you there. And remember, if you've missed any of the show and want to hear the show in full or go back and hear parts of it maybe you text in and didn't get your response then just pick up the podcast later on today all of the shows on dubai Eye are put on our website so you'll find the podcast section on the home page it's right in front of you or you can go to the dubai today page read our blogs and also find the podcast there uh, one of our other listeners texted in to say i uh, i know this is off topic but i just wanted to say a big thank you to dr raymond in helping me at a time when i was suffering great loss and getting back on track uh so there was a brief well, thank you very yeah. much for all those kind responses yeah thank you as well for giving us the feedback um let's go back to this message regarding gad uh, Mohammed text in to see to say i see a lot of correlation with work that is uh you know the correlation with work and mentioning and relating to stress and depression but there is also an- the anxiety factor which in many cases can become a personality disorder my question is how or what would you advise for anyone with some onset of G-A-D. And G-A-D stands for? General Anxiety Disorder. And it is a diagnosis that is brought up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So it is diagnosable. And this is when people worry a lot and they don't know that they're worries, but they actually do just worry a lot. And sometimes they are aware that they worry a lot. The key, they get keyed up and unable to relax. These are kind of the general kinds of symptoms. But when we look at this, we're looking at people who can't seem to get rid of their concerns over various things that are going on, creating anxiety. And sometimes the anxiety can be just anticipation, but sometimes it can also have a physical manifestation. And the physical manifestation for anxiety would be the heart palpitations, erratic breathing that could lead to dizziness, perspiring, shaking, a lot of negative thinking usually. And they can't relax. They they get startled very easily. They have difficulty concentrating. A lot of times we need to make a differential diagnosis because some of these symptoms also resemble depression. But in the general look at the person when they're presenting and also with the instruments that we use to complement our intake information, which is the first interview, we're wanting to look at how their sleeping patterns are. What are some of the physical symptoms like fatigue, headaches, muscle tension, muscle aches? Uh, Do they have even difficulty swallowing? Uh, temperament? Do they tremble? 
Uh, do, are they irritable? Are they uh, feeling nauseous at times, lightheaded? A lot of different kinds of things that go into looking at the diagnosis of general anxiety disorder. So differential diagnosis will also determine the way that the treatment session will be. Usually both medication and psychotherapy is involved with GAD, general anxiety disorder. And the medication could be, has to be prescribed also by a, prescri- by a qualified psychiatrist. Uh, not always is a physician who is not a psychiatrist needing to prescribe these because it needs to be a specialist, especially when the symptoms are quite moderate to severe. So when we're looking at antidepressants, when we're looking at anti-anxiety medications or these combinations, we need to have qualified people in the field of mental health who can prescribe these rather than just prescribing symptoms. It needs to be someone who can take all the symptoms, assess them, and analyze them and integrate them to come up with a diagnosis rather than medicating the symptoms. And unfortunately, what happens when people medicate symptoms, you get a lot of unnecessary medication causing tardive dyskinesia. It can be one medication for this, another medication for that. Then you have to have an auxiliary or something to stop the contraindication between the medications. So that's why it's a very important that whoever's going to medicate is a specialist in that area. Then with the psychological intervention, usually cognitive behavioral therapy is very, very well known to be very helpful. It's actually the guidelines for GAD, general anxiety disorder. Whenever there's people who come in to see psychologists, we do have strategies that we'll use right away. And if you don't respond within a week or two, then we will recommend medication. But a qualified clinical psychologist would know from the first interview whether you need to be put on medication immediately. So we work hand in hand with qualified psychiatrists as they work with us to make sure that the best interest of the patient is at hand, both physically and psychologically. And as always, you know, part of having conversations like this is to raise awareness for employers, uh, HR, people that are going to be open to you to be able to go to them and say, look, I've got, I'm, I'm not well, you know, this isn't, this is an illness, I need time off and not be judged for that or for it to go against Mm -hmm. you in your role within your workplace or it's going to prejudice or bias your development within the workplace because what we've heard just in our slither to a slice of it today is how many people are feeling the stress of work feeling overwhelmed feeling that they're edging towards burnout or indeed are burnt out and what can they do where can they go if they haven't got the power to manage the hours and the workload It's very important that people realize that there is treatment for this. It is not a hopeless situation. Not only do we have the assessment abilities to diagnose, but we also have the treatment to resolve it. The earlier the intervention, the more successful and quicker the outcome, and it's a positive outcome. The first point of contact may be the human resources person at a company. Or if a person's not working at a company, they might go to their family physician. Well, either HR or the family physician needs to be alert to the specialty needs that are required for this. And also intelligent patients are those who will look this up. You can Google it, find out what your symptoms are, but to actually have the correct diagnosis, you will need to have a real professional like a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist who will be able to do the differential diagnosis 
that is required because like I said, some of these symptoms may resemble other diagnosing. Mm. And if you get the wrong diagnosis, that means the wrong medication or the wrong treatment Mm. plan. And when that doesn't succeed, you have to go back and reassess. Well, we have the skills now to properly do the assessments to make certain that the correct diagnosis and the correct treatment plan is at hand. Well, uh, coming out of Washington, D.C., workers in the U.S. who at some point in their lives have been diagnosed with depression miss an estimated 68 million additional days of work each year than their counterparts who have not been depressed, uh, resulting in an estimated cost of more than $23 billion in lost productivity uh, annually to the U.S. employers. So depression costs U.S. workplaces that amount of money, $23 billion in absenteeism. About 12% of workers have been diagnosed with depression at some point so it's actually cost effective it's within employers and organizations interest to also take care of their employees to avoid these days off and 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 weeks off months off in some cases when people have suffered uh depression breakdown burnout um and you can also help with that you know professional psychologists can work with organizations we've been talking a little bit today about uh employees being in the right job for them and that's something you can monitor via testing and working with organizations in how they employ the right people for the jobs a lot of smart companies including insurance companies now are actually insuring wellness checkups and that saves millions and billions of dollars for a particular nation you can imagine being part of that nation or that company how much money it's actually going to save for you you have a healthy happy employee you're going to have a better functioning organization Richard Branson, uh, it's just come out this week. I heard it on Drive Live last night. Um, Tim and Alex were talking about it. Uh, Virgin, they have now just bought in a new policy for paternity at 12 months. Um, It's only for upper management at the moment, so it's for a few members of that organisation. But nevertheless, what message does that send out? Not to have babies until you're upper management. (laughs) But, you know, it's better, isn't it? That's a good message to say that as fathers, they need to be part of yes, their of child's upbringing as well yeah. and paternal t- leave paternal leave you know there there are they can be issues for fathers also suffering from depression as well as as mothers some in some cases so and it's about being correctly diagnosed when we talk about any of these things it's not just about banding about statement stress and it's not really stress or depression so thanks very much for all your messages today we hope we've helped you a little bit more food for thought for sure for now dr raymond hamden clinical and forensic psychologist based at the human relations institute and clinics it's good to have you back and i look forward to talking with you again next wednesday thank you so much it's good to hear and see you too and you can find out more about dr raymond and his organization we've posted up online the human relations institute and clinics with contact numbers and details as well so go to dubai1038.com forward slash dubai today